I want to welcome you all to this evening's airtime. I'm Pat Fox, Vice President of Arts Incubator of Richardson. Tonight is Monday, October 15th, 2018. Tonight's interviewee is Kat Miltenberger, noted mixologist, who will be answering the questions. She'll be answering the questions posed by David Fisher. Thanks, Pat. Um, good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here in this uh, rainy, cold weather. And for those of you listening on the podcast, just imagine a cold, rainy Dallas evening. Welcome to season nine of Airtime, presented by Air, the Arts Incubator of Richardson, in partnership with the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in Richardson. Airtime is an interview series featuring artists and creative thinkers in Richardson and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And Airtime is funded in part by the City of Richardson through the City of Richardson Cultural Arts Commission and underwritten by Eric L. and Deanna Wise of Wealthstar Advisors. As Pat said, it's October 15th, so please help me welcome our guest for this evening, mixologist Kat Miltenberger. A little bit of a, about her, Kat is an award-winning mixologist from right here in Dallas with more than 20 years of experience in the alcohol beverage industry. We will ask her slightly later about how many years of experience she actually has with alcohol, but that's a later question. <laughs> she has been featured in Cosmopolitan, Cheers, Chilled, FD Lux magazines, as well as the Neiman Marcus Cookbook and D Magazine. So uh, it, it's great to... Great to have you here this evening. Thank you. I appreciate and, uh, it. And for those of you, uh, we, we decided to make it a little more intimate cocktail uh, table and instead of our big high chairs today. So it feels more appropriate. I think so. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got to have this strange and wonderful job called a mixologist. Well, it, uh, it wasn't by choice, actually. It was uh, a means to an end. A friend of mine had suggested... Early on in my career, um, if you want to make some money really quick, you should try bartending. And I was like, well, okay, that sounds like a great idea. And he said, but I want you to know that probably once you get in it, you'll never get out of it. And I kind of poo-pooed that whole idea, and I said, no, I don't believe you. Well, here I am 24 years later, and I'm in the same business uh, for 24 years. So uh, I'm very blessed. I have uh, had a great opportunity to work with many people throughout the United States and internationally. Uh, it's uh, given me a great opportunity to see the world, uh, be able to experience things that uh, are really, really cool, especially in this field. So what is the difference between a bartender and a mixologist? Well, I would say I'm a bartender that has elevated themselves to uh, what we consider a mixologist. So a mixologist is probably the closest thing to a pastry chef. You have to know measurements, ingredients, um, acids, how to and how not to mix volume, size of glass. You have to do measuring, that kind of thing, it, versus just kind of throwing things together and putting them into a glass. That's how I initially started. And then you, once you realize what you're doing and the balance and what needs to be uh, put in the glass, how it needs to be shaken, so on and so forth. There's all kinds of different methods. When we were talking earlier, um, you mentioned that a bartender was part confessor, psychiatrist, confidant, Pretty much. bookie. Now, do, do mixologists get to be these same kind of uh, um, 
friends of, of, of people around the bar too? I, I would say so in an elevated way, <laughs> you know, on a personal level, absolutely. And what were your first uh, experiences with alcohol? Uh, my first experience, well, given uh, I can remember my parents, and I still have it actually, I have a um, steamer chest that was purchased at a local uh, furniture store here, in, well, actually a store here in Dallas called Sanger Harris. Mm -hmm. They bought it in 1968. It's a modern, it's a vermilion orange red, and I still have it to this day. On Saturdays, I would sneak in because my dad was in the restaurant business and he had access to a lot of unique ingredients that went into this steamer chest. And so I would kind of sneak in there on a Saturday and I didn't know what Kirschwasser was, but I tasted it and I knew I did not like it. And, uh, but I was still curious. So that's kind of the start of it. I used to go with my dad on Saturdays to open up the restaurant and my first ever drink that I made was at the bar and it was a, a Pepsi. So that was actually me putting my hand on a gun and making a drink. Uh, going from there, I got this wild idea when I was 14 that when you grilled hamburgers, you had to have uh, uh, screwdrivers. So I made a batch of screwdrivers, put them in the refrigerator, already in the glasses, ready to go, batching before I knew, ever, ever knew what batching was, <laughs> and had them set, ready to go for our family. Okay, so what is Kirschwasser? Kirschwasser is kind of a, it's a German liqueur that is pretty much a cherry. Uh, it's kind of a bitter liqueur. It's sweet, but it's bitter and so it's, it's like dry. cough syrup, like well, the cough syrup that grandma would make you kinda, try to drink. Kinda. <laughs> so, um, so I remember when I was a, a child, my dad too was a bartender, and we would we would feel special by drinking Shirley Temples, which mm -hmm. was basically just Seven Up with a little grenadine and a cherry. But it did it felt like we were drinking a grown up cocktail. Absolutely, mocktails are trending right now, and and that would be considered a mocktail. Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have, we were talking earlier about the history of uh, mixology and the just the, where you talked about the history of cocktails and the history of alcohol. And if you follow alcohol, you'll learn history. And if you learn history, you'll Correct. follow alcohol. So uh, you were telling me a story about the Canadian Club. So um, I had an opportunity to uh, go to the Canadian Club distillery in uh, Windsor, Canada. And... We went over through Detroit and went over into Canada, and it's the most absolutely beautiful um, Italianate uh, property. Uh, when it was built, they built it for about, I think, 40, 40 or $50 million. Hiram Walker built it. So when we went in, the, the first, the, the, when we opened the doors and we all went in as a tour, it looked like a bank vault. It was beautiful. There was beautiful, heavy, just wrought iron and marble and very 20s-esque. And that was the first thing I said was, wow, this looks like a bank vault. And they laughed and they said it was. It handled all of the currency that was coming in for all of the bootlegging of liquor. They had over 14 vaults in this facility. And it was absolutely gorgeous. As we toured into the distillery, we went to uh, we went to a lower level, and then there was this um, deep, deep space. It was like six feet down, and it had a gate. And they said, well, if you want, you can go down and stand there 
and you can look. It was the underground tunnel where they used small gauge uh, carts to roll the liquor underneath the river and go over to Detroit. And it was really cool. You could feel the wind coming through, and they would signal when they were loading up, and then they would take it through. That was pretty amazing. And then finally, we went to the Raskeller, and they actually built a round table. I think it, it, I think it held seated 10 or 12 people. It was built physically in the room, and it was built specifically for Al Capone. So it was really cool to be in there and to sit at the table that Al Capone sat at and then noticing that um, on the wall there were bullet holes and that kind of thing. It was really cool. <laughs> so um, we were talking also earlier about that, that Prohibition was really the start of what we would call the modern-day cocktail. Pretty much, in, in modern-day America. To change the flavor of bad liquor. right. So in the, in, when Prohibition came about and it was, there was a halt on liquor, um, people were panicking. They wanted, they wanted liquor. They didn't know how to get it. Um, there was a resurgence of, you know, from World War I, we became this modern America, and it was um, wealth, and we had this power and authority, and people just wanted to be in the know, so to speak. So with, with that being, with alcohol, they started, champagne was, it was either champagne or gin. I mean, those were the two in all be alls. So if you were drinking, you were drinking either gin or champagne or a combination of the two. And then what about, the, how did the, what, you, what are the, um, you talked about the original aspects of a cocktail. Uh, the original aspects of a cocktail, um, you hear the term, rot gut. When whiskey was created, it was really poorly made. And so it was so bad that it just wasn't good for you. So they would add a little bit of bitters, the bartender would, or a pharmacist, they would add a little bit of bitters to it for digestive and a little bit of sugar to sweeten it to make it taste a little bit more palatable. And so that hence became the cocktail and we also consider that now kind of an old-fashioned. So it was truly an old, old-fashioned. Yes. <laughs> so what, when you're creating, whether from the original whiskey bitters and something sweet, I mean, what do you consider the key components of a good cocktail? The key components of a good cocktail are the product, uh, the spirit, uh, what you're doing with it, and the balance, whether you're using uh, a shrub, uh, vinegar or a citrus acid, that kind of thing, uh, with a sweetener. So you always want it to balance out. Uh, you don't want it to be too overproof when you're drinking it. It's like, oh, that's all I taste is alcohol. You want to have a great mouthfeel. It's to enjoy, truly. And, and in this day and age, with all of the people all over the world creating cocktails now, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. There's some beautiful, beautiful drinks a lot of um, trend towards garnishes that are over the top and more of a show. And it seems like it's now more garnish versus the cocktail itself. Let's get that wow factor, that visual wow factor, just like you would see on something that was plated. Now, how do connoisseurs of spirits differ or are similar to connoisseurs of wine? 
I don't think that they differ. I think they are on the same plane. Um, when I try to explain to somebody who's more of a wine drinker, um, if you are drinking a Cabernet, think of a bourbon, a full-bodied bourbon as a Cabernet. If you're drinking gin or something lighter, like a vodka or a rum, then I bring it down to a different um, varietal of grape, just in my mind to get them to understand this is how it's going to taste. If you're going to have something that's full-bodied or something that's light, you know, something light like a vodka or something light like a gin. So you could do cocktail pairings just like you do wine pairings. Very easily, and that's also trending too. You'll see a lot of that where you'll see cocktail pairings uh, with dinner, with a three-course, four-course, five-course meal. Hmm. All right. So in, in, in fragrance blending, we, we would talk of the, the, scent, the, the scent would have different notes to it. A top uh, note, top. a mid-note, and a bottom note. Right. And it, I, I believe in that. Is liquor the same way? Absolutely. But it, you also have taste, so you would have salt and acid and yes how, how does that how do those work together uh for me it's pretty innate um it's just something that i do but uh there is a top note and when i'm when i'm teaching a class i'll say you know i want you to smell at the top of the glass mid note and then at the bottom of the glass and keep your mouth open and kind of inhale and then have them taste swish and then they'll get all of the different um, parts of the, the tongue going on with, you know, sweet, salt, taste, sour, and then ultimately the umami. So what would, so what would a top note be in, in alcohol? A top note? Or uh, in a cocktail? In a cocktail, it would, for me, it would be uh, probably the pitch. Uh, like an, uh, I have a very unique sense, sensory, so I smell in notes. I don't know. I, my friend up here knows what it is, but what what is what is it called? Oh. So I have that, uh-huh. and um, so when I smell, I'll I can tell if it's uh, a a sharp huh. b. It's kind of strange. So what would be an example of an ingredient that would give you a top note? Uh, lemon would would be probably an a. Mm-hmm. Lime would be a a a sharp. Grapefruit. Grapefruit would be a sharp. Uh, Kumquat? Kumquat would be a B. Lime? Lime would be an A sharp. Um, what's another citrus fruit? <laughs> we have a lot. Orange. Orange. Uh, that could be a B to a C, okay. depending upon what varietal. And so what would a middle note be in a cocktail? What middle would... note to me would be brown sugar. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what, what would a base note be then? A base note? Mm, berry. Blackberries. Hmm. See, I would. What's that? Bacon. Bacon, Bacon and blackberries. So, um, <laughs> all right, we, we're just going to go mix some drinks now, and we, we're, we're, we, we can st- we can stop early. So, uh, in addition to being a mixologist, you've actually you you represent a number of brands of liquors and yes. a number of companies. Yes. How is it different being a mixologist for a company that where they're reproducing a lot of these versus in a tiny little bar, a boutique bar? Well, boutique bar, you, you pretty much have, you can do pretty much what you'd like. Uh, you can source where you want, and you don't have to worry about logistics. So when you're working with a national account, it's very important to understand the logistics of what they can do. 
and usually they'll give you what they call a mandate list, and that's a list of this is what we have procured, this is what we work with, and this is what we want to work with. Sometimes you can edge in and suggest a different flavor or a different fruit, and it's entirely up to them to make the decision whether or not they want to add that into their mandate list or if they want to try it for maybe a featured cocktail or an LTO. But logistics is a really big part of doing national accounts. Well, and you, I, I would guess you could be given a, a color palette to go design a cocktail around. I have been given numerous color palettes um, to design cocktails around. So what, what, is a, what is a summery yellow, orange, and pink cocktail? A summery orange, yellow, and pink cocktail. I would probably suge suggest a Paloma. A Paloma, which is? Paloma is a tequila, grapefruit. Uh, lime, and a little bit of effervescent, whether it be a uh, sparkling uh, grapefruit soda or a sparkling soda. Hmm. So what would a wintry, cold, dark, silver and gray and navy blue cocktail be? Uh, okay, say the colors again. Silver, navy blue, and gray. Okay, I so I would probably do uh, blackberry uh, and lavender and then garnish it with some kind of a, a silver-dusted uh, citrus chip. Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> so um, you won an award for, a, for what's called a long drink. Yes. What is a long drink? And so tell, us, tell us first, tell us about the award, and then tell us what, what is a long drink. Uh, the award was for uh, WSWA, uh, which is a competition that is um, donned for all of the distributors in the United States. And they do this yearly, and all of the distributors put up their mixologist uh, in-house, resident mixologist, and we all compete together for an Iron Chef. Uh, it's run by um, the, probably Tony Abuganam is the man, and he runs the entire program for WSWA, and they have a judging panel, and they give us Iron Chef. So Iron Chef, they bring us a basket, and we have 20 to 30 minutes to build those three drinks, and then we compete against each other for the flavor, the concept, the look, and using, using the brand. So the last one that I uh, won was a long drink, and I believe it was Pick Your Poison, and it was, a long drink is considered a, a, a tall drink in a Collins glass with lots of juices and fruit. And what are the other categories? Uh, categories as far as cocktails. With long drinks. Oh, what, so. Are there short drinks? No, there? there's not short drinks. Okay. So there's an aperitif or okay. aperitivo. There's a long drink. And then there was at, uh, at one point they had a dessert drink. So at one point I won all except for aperitivo. So that's the only one I've, I've missed out on. So um, you mentioned that you were here in Dallas at the beginning of Dallas's mixologist, mixology, right. craft cocktail history. Tell us a little bit about the beginnings and, and how you think the industry has changed over the past 15, 20 years? Yeah, easy. Um, it slowly came into Dallas between 2003, 2004. Uh, that was with Victor Tango, which is mm -hmm. unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, it was cutting edge. It, they brought in 
an amazing team. Uh, the bar was beautiful. Everything was set up like you were going into surgery. It was incredible. Great cocktails. Um, after that, uh, the Kimpton Group brought in a restaurant called Central 214. And we brought in, um, I was part of that team, uh, hired in to be part of the bar. And Jacques Bezuidenhout, out of San Francisco, out of Harry Denton's bar, came and trained us all. We did the first 16 handcrafted cocktails in a high volume speed bar setting. And so from there, it just kicked off. And Dallas now has a lot of great uh, restaurants, a lot of great bars that offer all kinds of really cool, cool drinks to go and just to have a good, good experience. Now, are there some bad ones that are just bad copycats? Define bad. I don't think anything's bad. <laughs> are there are there people who are not authentic craft who don't have the passion the the gift the I think if you're behind the bar you've got to have some kind of passion because okay. it's a hard job so uh, that's that's how I look at it I mean I I have a lot of respect for people that work at the front of the bar um, it's a hard job um, if you're if you're doing a a a full bar, which means you're in a restaurant bar setting, mm -hmm. and you have to do the entire menu. It's it's probably one of the most difficult jobs in the restaurant, next to the the back of the house. Right, because you're the being busboy and waiter, and you're doing bus, your wait, your bar, your server, your cashier. You know, you're the confessor. You're the I didn't see you last night with that other person. Person, <laughs> you know, you, you it's it's a tough job. Now, how has the craft cocktail evolution gone along with the craft beer? Are they similar industries? How, I mean, I know obviously you're making the beer and then you make the final product where you're mixing the cocktails, but are, is there the same spirit in them? I think, well, spirit is as far as liquor? No. Right. Oh, okay. As far as the spirit passion? Spirit as in the passion, passion? and the, the love for... I'm not a beer beverage. maker, but uh, they're very proud. That's a whole different genre, uh, crafting. And they, too, have to have a palate. They need to know measurements and balance and when it's ready, when it's not. So they're physically watching it being made mm -hmm. and preparing it to go to the bottle or to the growler or what or what have you. So I think that there's just as much passion in that uh, genre as there is in in the uh, spirits. You just reminded me of a winery. I, I was in Chile and they would uh, they would graft uh, a Pinot and a Syrah vine together and to get this hybrid right. grape. And there was all these sort of various Frankenstein right. combinations of grape flavors. Yeah, there has to be a little bit of chemistry in your heart mm -hmm. to, to do what we do. So um, do cocktails differ regionally, Absolutely. both in the, in the U.S.? Yes. I mean, I know we, have, we certainly love our margaritas here. Oh, uh, well, that's what we're known for. And uh, the mint juleps in Kentucky. Are, right. And the pina coladas in Hawaii. What are some other regional isms I, for cocktails? I, I've always been intrigued by this. So there's so many variations of a Manhattan. And there's one in, the, uh, I, I don't want to say, maybe it's Wisconsin, uh, where they throw a cashew in the bottom of it. And I've always been curious as to the history of that. I have never found out the history of why. 
they put a cashew in the bottom of the drink instead of a cherry. And it's usually brandy. So it's a brandy Manhattan. It's just it's, It intrigues me. But yes, there are regional uh, distinctions, for sure. What about um, internationally? What I mean, are there the same cocktails in I Russia think, or France? or? Well, I haven't been to Russia. Uh, f as far as France, I think champagne is king. Um, there are some really cool bars in, in France, for sure. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of, um, there's a lot of wonderful, crazy whimsy coming out of London right now that is over-the-top theater, uh, using all kinds of things out of your grandmother's china cabinet, using dry ice, presentation, rolling carts that have dry ice, opening up a... Uh, a giant world globe and having smoke come out of it. Um, I mean, whimsy for sure is is happening, and it's it's delightful. So speaking of smoke, when did smoke become an ingredient? I mean, I w was in a bar and they 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 put the cocktail inside of this lantern and then pump smoke into it. Right. So when did smoke become an ingredient? Uh, the first time I saw smoke um, was probably 2011. Uh, the Aviary in Chicago, they're known for trend-setting cocktails, and that's where I saw it. And they brought a cocktail to the table that was in a uh, vacuum-sealed bag, and then they just cut it open with a pair of scissors, and then the plume of smoke came out of it. And then they presented us with the smoked old-fashioned. So it, it's... It, it, that's one of those things where the chef side is slowly coming to the front of the of the bar, so you're getting more chef things happening, gastronomy, molecular, and if they can do it with uh, things in the back of the house, plating, uh, plating, uh, beautiful entree or an appetizer, they're bringing that to the cocktail too. So. so uh so it's as much about the presentation as it is about what the flavor about it the, is. It's now. about the whole experience. Yes, it is now. Hmm. Presentation, flavor, experience, uh, out of the out of the box, um, all kinds of fun things. So a guy walks into your bar, <laughs> and he says, "Make me something. Right. Surprise me." Right. What questions do you ask him or her, or her. in order to? narrow the choice down to something he or she would like? I would probably ask them what spirit they like and then go from there. And if they said, well, I like vanilla or I like chocolate or I, w I want something, I want a Manhattan, but I just don't want a regular Manhattan, then I would go from there and ask the notes, the what we call the modifiers. So do you like cherry? Do you like blackberry? Do you like lemon? and then build it based on their answers. And there are a lot of bars here in Dallas that do that. And you have to be very confident in your bartender or your mixologist if you're sitting at the bar and, sure, make me something, because they want that experience. They want to see what you can do for them. Mm -hmm. And it's all about catering and taking care of the guest. And that's the most important thing. If you can take care of the guest, you can make them 100% happy. And what are the what are the inspirations that you if you're making something for a friend or just for yourself or you're just mad scientist experimenting? What how do you start? What do you start with? Uh, I usually will start with let's start with the spirit, 
and then we'll go with the the citrus and then I'll just ask them you know do you do you want something shaken do you want something frozen uh, do you want something classic you just want something fun and make sure that they don't have any allergies the cashew the cashew <laughs> so what is the oddest ingredient you've ever uh, put into a cocktail the oddest ingredient hmm I would probably say probably an oyster. Oyster? Yeah. A, a raw one, I'm assuming. Yes, raw. And what was this cocktail? Uh, it, was a, it was a classic um, uh, cocktail on the stem and with raw, raw oyster, and it was painted with 23 karat gold. Very nice. Edible. And, and why did you have to make this cocktail? Uh, it was a request for something out of the box for a, a client that wanted to, well, uh, no, let me take that back. The, I think the craziest thing I ever did was I did a foie gras. Um, I did a foie gras Manhattan or old-fashioned called foie about it, foie about it. <laughs> and I infused um, foie gras, I, I pan-seared it and infused it in a beautiful um, Japanese whiskey. And then I did a kumquat oleo with it. And then I garnished it with a torchon of foie gras and presented it to the client. And it was delicious. Hmm. So you were mentioning about getting an umami flavor out of a mm -hmm. cocktail. But I, I, was, I was wondering how you would do that. And that would be... Absolutely. That would be one of... Other than bacon, I suppose. Right. Hmm. Now, so what about the rarest or most expensive ingredients you've ever... Other than the tw the painted gold, uh, I would probably say the r rarest. I would probably say it would probably be the gold, twenty three karat. I, wor I work a lot lately. Lately, I've been working a lot with gold, and uh, probably the most unique ingredient is probably the foie gras that hmm. I've worked with. I've worked with some truffle, uh, but it's a little. It can be a little overbearing, as as a dear friend would say, uh, polarizing. Yeah. So if you were stranded on a desert island and you only had one spirit and two mixers, what would you what would you have? Well that's tough. I love tequila. I love rum. It'd be one or those one or the other. I love coconut and I love pineapple. So it'd have to be those. That sounds like a perfect desert island <laughs> cocktail. So is there a cocktail you wish would just go away as a bartender? You just hated when someone would ask for it? Um, there, was a, there was a shot that we used to make. Uh, uh, sex with an alligator. Sex with an alligator. What was in this one? Uh, it had Midori, Jaeger, had multiple layers of ingredients in it, had Chambord in it, and then you, you layered it so it looked like an eye of an alligator who was staring at you. So it was difficult to make. It was not difficult. It was. Just, it just required some time. And did it taste good? Oh, it was yummy. Oh. <laughs> so um, if we were, I mean, we, I, I, as I, I hope everyone has been inspired by uh, mixology. What would you recommend that we do within our own bars and our own refrigerators to sort of get started? I think you need to have a good quality citrus, uh, lemon juice, lime juice, uh, orange juice, 
grapefruit, whatever you like. Uh, citrus is always the, the starter. And pick out spirits that you like, something that you, you want to experiment with, not that you're comfortable with, but kind of go out of that box a little. You know, maybe you are a rum person. Well, try a cachaça. Or if you're a tequila person, maybe you try mezcal just to go out of your comfort zone a little so you can learn more about uh, the spirits in general. And then what about things like bitters or tools or... Well, tools, um, I've gone through mul multiple tools to, to the point where I just have really basic things. I've bought all the fancy stuff. I've spent money or I'll, I'll do training and then next thing you know, they're, they, they've kind of walked off the, the bar because somebody else has wanted them. So I just use uh, basic tools. Um, I use all steel um, shakers. I don't use uh, steel and glass anymore. I use uh, steel on steel. Um, bitters, there's so many and there's so many out there. There's some really good ones that are fun to work with and just one little drop can, can change the whole impression of a drink. Now, how are bitters made? Uh, bitters are pretty much like your, it's like in, infusing different types of roots and bark and just little elements of things. You let it sit uh, with your, uh, whatever your grain, grain alcohol is and let it just kind of marinate, so to speak. It's kind of like a marinade, if you, want to, if you want to call it that. And then strain it off, and then you've got your bottle after six weeks or eight weeks. So it's giving you complexity and... It's giving you multiple notes within, mm -hmm. within a small little uh, bottle. So you, so you mentioned um, you'd participated in a number of Iron Chef uh, mm -hmm. competitions. So we wanted to play Iron Cocktail Chef with the, uh, the with the audience. Usually at this point in the evening, we would turn it over to the audience. So what I want the audience to do, and for the podcast, I'll repeat uh, what you tell me. Give me an ingredient, or if you're if you want to be really challenging, two, and uh, we will have Cat make a cocktail with it. Who wants to start? Over here. Uh huh. Jalapenos and orange. Uh, well, I would do a margarita, so a jalapeno margarita, which was created in 2005, and it was actually created here in Dallas, Texas. Um, so I would use a, a little bit of orange juice, uh, jalapeno, I would muddle uh, one or two coins with maybe one and a half ounce of your favorite tequila. Uh, the orange would be a splash, a little bit of triple sec and a little bit of lime juice, shake it up with some fresh ice, strain it over. Uh, a glass with uh, maybe a cayenne chili pepper rim. Does that, would that work? All right, next. Who, who's over here? Thyme and pearl onions. Why? <laughs> so uh, I would probably make a Gibson with the pearl onion and uh, garnish it with the thyme. All right, someone else? And the pumpkin. Pumpkin. Pumpkin as cocktail or pumpkin as dessert cocktail? As a cocktail. Uh, I would, this would be a neutral grain spirit like a vodka. You could also do rum, uh, maybe a 
vanilla rum with uh, one, one ounce of a pumpkin puree. Uh, then you can add your allspice in with that. I would probably add some, a touch of honey. And I wouldn't use lime because lime, the pH on that is really low, uh, meaning it's super high. So I would use a little bit of lemon, uh, shake it up, put a cinnamon sugar rim on that, and uh, call it a day. Yum. Okay. Kimchi or and or octopus. Okay. You said you loved Vietnamese food. I do. Um, so with the octopus, uh, I would probably use, uh, I would do gin and add some squid ink, make it black. I would grill the octopus and use that as a garnish and add a little bit of a, maybe a pink Himalayan tincture to it, just to give it a little bit of a saltiness. Sir. Oreos. I would get uh, two ounces of uh, horchata. Uh, I would muddle up the Oreos. I would throw it into a blender with two scoops of my favorite vanilla ice cream. Uh, I would add one ounce of an Irish cream to that. Uh, then I would probably add a half an ounce of chocolate syrup and float it with some bourbon. So that's just an adult milkshake. Mm -hmm. mm, that's yummy deliciousness. <laughs> Over here? Lavender and black pepper. Mm. And that's actually a really, that's a, a, a nice combination, those two. So lavender, um, do a lavender syrup. I would probably add a little bit of maraschino liqueur, which is not the same as grenadine. It's a, a dry Italian liqueur with the lavender, a little bit of gin, and I would maybe muddle some cucumber and then garnish it with a cucumber and crack the pepper on top. All right. Anyone else in the back? Vanilla and cayenne. Why? <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. What, what did you say? That is crazy. Okay. Uh, cayenne. Uh, do you want uh, 100,000 100, BTU? Do you want it really spicy or do you just want a hint? Just a hint? So maybe like a, a 5,000 BTU cayenne? Okay, with vanilla. So I would take some vanilla bean and infuse it with tequila. That takes maybe a week. And then grill some pineapple. And then take the grilled pineapple, muddle it, uh, add two ounces of your infused tequila with uh, pineapple. Uh, shake it up, add a little bit of triple sec or a cognac with that, and then do a uh, cinnamon, maybe vanilla-scented sugar with a little bit of cayenne, and then make that into a, a martini. Hmm. 
So the grilled pineapple would give you a little smoke to it, too, right. wouldn't it? A little black, a little right. char. Right. It's yum. Muddling what is your muddling process? Oh, you get a muddle stick. You put the product into a glass, like a any kind of a, a, a sturdy glass, and then you just you just muddle the heck out of it, depending upon what it is. If it's fruit or berries, if it's something like a basil or a mint, uh, typically I don't like to um, take a muddle stick to it because it it brings out the chlorophyll. Chlorophyll tends to be bitter, so it's best to take it in your hands and pop it, and then it wakes up the um, it wakes up the the uh, leaves. Hold on. I just happen to have a piece of mint in my drink. Do you see this here? Put it in your hands like this. That's it. And then you can, then you can smell it. Um, we, all, we also call that spanking your mint. Are there other things you can spank in a bar? Maybe. <laughs> Are there any any uh, questions from the audience, other than suggestions? I just want to make a comment. The Thank oh, you. That's right. We have a signature cocktail tonight. Tell us about the South Side. Well, in honor of the Great Gatsby, um, though vodka did not exist during this era, gin did. The cocktail that you're having is kind of a what I would call a riff on the South Side. It, typically is with gin. Uh, it's pretty classic. It's very simple. Uh, it has a little bit of simple syrup. It's got a little bit of citrus in it. It has mint, uh, really pretty simple sugar rim. And then we uh, substituted and we put um, Tito's handmade vodka in it. And because we like margaritas here, I thought that it probably would play well with everyone and that they would be very receptive to the drink. So thank you. Uh, I just did, and it ended on the floor. <laughs> so, um, so what they what they've done up at the bar is they did they've done a really nice job with it. This is topped off with a, a nice cava, so it gives a little frizzante or a little bit of effervescence. So you're kind of it's a cross between a classic cocktail and a champagne cocktail. Thank you. Questions? Yep, right next door. Have you created any cocktails to go with movies? And if so, uh, what's, what's a memorable one? I have uh, created uh, some cocktail programs for cinema, yes. As far as them being memorable, um, I have a couple that, that are punches. Punches are real easy. Uh, they're very personable people of punch. A lot of people don't really like to taste alcohol. So when they go out, they just want to, they want to have a good cocktail, but at the same time, they don't want to necessarily taste, taste it. So I would say probably some punches that I've done. Any more questions? Well, thank you so much. So what, uh, what, do, we, what do we drink in, in many, 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 many years when we're remembering you fondly? What do we drink at your memorial service? Oh, at my memorial service? 
Anything you can get your hands on. <laughs> Bathtubs full of it. Yes. <laughs> All right, so everyone, please uh, raise a glass to Miss Kat Miltenberger. Cheers. So we always, we always finish up with our uh, top ten shorties. Okay. Which are ten quick, rapid-fire questions um, that give us a little bit of perspective into you. Just, okay. just give us the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Number one, pie or cake? Pie. Number two, Rolling Stones or Beatles? Rolling Stones. Number three, Eiffel Tower or Empire State? Eiffel. Number four, your dream vacation spot? Vienna. Number five, the first vegetable that comes to your mind? Sweet potato. Number six, rose or lavender? Rose, because that's my middle name. <gasps> Perfect. Number seven, your favorite citrus fruit? Cara Cara oranges. Tell us about those. They're African. They're beautiful. What, They'll be they, coming into season how, soon. What do they taste like? They're just a beautiful um, salmon orange inside. They're just delicious. Hmm. Number eight, stirred or shaken? Both. Number nine, Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind? Gone with the Wind. Number 10, your favorite non-alcoholic drink. Can I say the brand? Hmm? Topo Chico. Yeah, very nice. Well, thank you. Thank you again. So uh, we will be back to our regular time next month on November 13th. Our guest will be Brianna Ruelas, a local author, the author of Performing Artist Pathway, and a, also a singer and songwriter. So we hope you will join us next month on November 13th. And again, another round of applause and uh, raise a glass for Kat Miltenberger. Thank you all for being here.